0: Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's my privilege to come and share the word of the Lord with you this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 113, Who is like our God? I'm so glad with the worship music that we listened to this morning. We began with uh, Blessed Be Your Name, and um, this psalm continues to is, is a psalm of praise of God's name. And we declare in it, blessed be the name of the Lord. So that really uh, spoke to my heart. The song was very fitting for our sermon this morning. And then we uh, closed with, uh, let your kingdom come. And I thought, oh, it's time for me to get up and preach. Please, Lord, let your kingdom come. Even now would be a great time for you to come back, Lord. So, um, but God in his uh, sovereign will determined in purpose that I would come and stand before you this morning, so um, is with grateful praise and with um, fear and trembling that um, I invite the Lord to help us, so let's invite him together in prayer. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for your grace and endless mercy towards us each and every new day. Lord, we pray now that you would um, open our hearts and minds to that which which you would have us receive this day. Um Help me to uh, bring forth a message that would be a blessing to people's hearts and encourage them to praise the God of creation. if we ask it in the precious name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm going to suggest that we open our Bibles to Psalm 113. And let's read it once again. Psalm 113. Who is like our God? It begins, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Well, this psalm is one of the, uh, considered one of the, six Egyptian Hallel psalms. They were typically sung at the particularly um, Pentecost, Tabernacle, and Passover, but particularly Passover. The Egyptian Hillel, with Hillel meaning uh, praise in Hebrew, was an, uh, an opportunity for the, the Hebrew nation to gather together and they would typically sing these group of six psalms together. Uh, the first one being Psalm 113. And Hallel is the word. We use, it, we use it as Hallelujah. But the word Hallel in Hebrew means to praise. So the Levites would exclaim to the people, Hallelujah, which means praise. And the people would respond with Hallelujah, which is praise ye the Lord. So... It was a a great time for the Hebrew nation to sing these. They would typically sing sing Psalm 113 and 114 before the Passover meal. And then they would sing Psalm 115 and 118 through 118 after the uh, Passover meal. Our outline this morning, we're going to cover two parts. Verses 1 through 3, the call to praise and exhortation. And verses... 4 through 9, the cause for praise and worship, God's mercy. It's hard for me to determine whether or not I should just read what I wrote because I am um, not an eloquent speaker. But if you will bear with me, I probably will to try and stay as focused and as on point as possible, probably read a lot of what I have written. The praise of our God is why we worship in word and song. Music is an expression of our praise and worship of God. We sing of his mercies and grace toward us, his redeeming love in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. The whole expanse of time and the unfolding of redemptive history should result in our praise as we consider these things. We can also, from our own very own life stories, see the providential mercy and grace that has called us out of our sin and placed us in Christ. This miracle of a redeeming grace should cause our hearts and minds and very souls to sing choruses of praise to our God. Let's get into our text, starting with verse 1. Let's read verse 1 again. It reads, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. I found it interesting that the Prince of Preachers Spurgeon notes that in verse 1, the use of praise the Lord is done three times. It hints at the Trinity before the fuller revelation in the New Testament. I will quote from Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, verse 1, is a thinly veiled allusion to the holy mystery of God in three persons. Let Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all be praised as the one, only, living, and true God. Upon reflecting upon this, I thought this was a very interesting idea and it provided an uh, uh, introspect Retrospect, introspect. I thought about it. I meditated upon it is what I'm trying to say. So the very first stanza. Praise the Lord. If you notice short three words. Praise the Lord. It struck me that the one true God. The Father. When we use praise. It was the definite article. Not praise a Lord. It was praise the Lord. The one true and living God. We use the, a definite article in front of a noun because the reader knows exactly what we are referring to since there is only one. That is a known entity, a singularity, unlike when we use the word a or an, which is a general article as in a God, little g. There is only one God, maker of heaven and earth. The Hebrew Shema, an affirmation of God's singularity, is a daily Recitation, regarded traditionally by observant Jews as a biblical commandment. If you would turn with me to Deuteronomy six, chapter uh, verses four through seven, we can read that together. Deuteronomy six, starting in verse four: "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Praise God. The second stanza. Praise, O servants of the Lord. It struck me that Christ came as a servant the first time. When he comes again, he will be Lord, Master, King, and Judge. But Christ came to serve. Jesus came to serve even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Jesus Christ the God-man who emptied himself of his glory in order to do the will of the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6-7 through seven says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So verse two stanza, the servant Christ came to do the will of the Father. And then I thought verse three, or stanza three of verse one says, praise the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus Christ, the name of the Lord, the silent witness who testifies of God and conforms us into the image of Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 16, it reads, But when the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Praise God, brothers and sisters. I also have a note. If you turn with me to in your Bibles to John chapter 16, it's interesting as well. John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Praise God. The Spirit of God testifies of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I thought it quite interesting that Spurgeon points out, and not only is it three times that we praise the Lord, but I found that there was actually reasons to uh, agree or affirm with what he thought. I'm so thankful that he brought that forth and caused me to spend some time meditating upon it and thinking about, what God has done um, in His Word, how He continues to uh, speak to us through His words. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to read and study upon God's Word, for it encourages our hearts and it makes us desire and hunger for, to, to seek deeper things. And it struck me as that. that the praise the Lord was speaking of the one true and living God. And to praise, O servants of the Lord, that Christ came as a servant and that we would praise the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit amplifies the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's discuss verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Blessed means to make happy or prosperous, extol pronounced happy. Praise is always to be given. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Webster's 1828 dictionary defines the word name as a noun. When used in scripture, the name of God signifies his titles, his attributes, his will or purpose, his honor and glory, his word, his grace, his wisdom and power and goodness, his worship or service or God himself. So let us extol blessings on His cause while wishing glory to His name and triumph to His truth from this time forth. If we have not yet begun blessing the Lord's name, let us begin today, brothers and sisters, from this time forth and forevermore. His name will be praised, eternity past, present and future. The name of the Lord will be praised. You know, it struck me when we were in our prayer meeting this morning that the psalm is a psalm of praise. But um, regardless of what we think and, and what we are thinking even now, God is being praised. He's being eternally praised even now in the heavens. Um, it struck me that Isaiah chapter 6, it speaks of the praise that is happening before the throne of God for Isaiah chapter six, verse one says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with two. He covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole, the whole, Earth is full of his glory. So, even now, brothers and sisters, in God's heaven above, the holy angels are praising and worshiping our God. So, it is something that is universally happening, and we get to participate that here upon the earth. And that's why God has given us his word to help speak to our hearts and minds and remind us that we need to praise him. And we will be eternally. All those that are in Christ will praise God for eternity. In the new heavens and the new earth. I look forward to that brothers and sisters. Verse 3. From the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. From the first moments of our conscious waking. It should begin with praise for God. Thanksgiving. And it should uh, help sanctify us throughout the day. When we begin our time with the Lord. So let us each uh, praise God. As we awake, not only in the morning, but throughout our day, and before we shut our eyes and our heads upon our pillows, let us remember to thank God for each and every day and praise Him for His grace and mercy. The attributes of God... Wait a minute. I think I skipped a page. Nope, I didn't. The attributes of God are incredible beyond our understanding and knowledge. We will never be able to plumb the depths of God. He is transcendent, existing outside of time and space. He is omnipresent in all places at the same time, one that exists everywhere. He is omnipotent, almighty, possessing unlimited power, all-powerful, and He is omniscient, having universal knowledge, or knowledge of all things, infinite knowing, all seeing. Not a request or an invitation is the name of the Lord to be praised. Let us render what is due our God praise. In the first three verses, which is part one in our outline, we noted that. Verse 1, 2, and 3, we are to praise the name of the Lord. And in verse 2, bless the name of the Lord. And from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. I thought it interesting that once again, there was a series of three. The name of the Lord was brought forth three times. I don't know if you find that interesting, but I do that. uh, um, The name of the Lord is to be praised and it's praised three times again in reference to the Holy uh, um, God's triune nature. An interesting point. There's nothing deep or mystical about it. It's just an interesting point, a note of Scripture. So I thought you guys would find that interesting as well. Verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens... The praise and blessings of verse 1 through 3 exclaim the name of the Lord, lifted from this time forth and forevermore from the beginning of each day until its end. The exclamation that God is above all nations is obvious to all who give praise and adoration to our God. His glory is above the heavens, and Jesus Christ is the King of kings. In our Bibles, in Revelation chapter 19, Verse 16, I'm going to start reading in verse 11, if you're following along in your Bibles with me. Chapter 19, starting in verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. of the fury of wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Praise God for the Son of God who comes again, and this time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Spurgeon notes and writes, quote, The Lord is high above all the learning." Judgment and imagination of heathen sages, and far beyond the pomp and might of the monarchs of the nations. Like the great arch of the firmament, the presence of the Lord spans all the lands where dwell the varied tribes of men. For his providence is universal. This may well excite our confidence and praise, and his glory above the heavens, higher than the loftiest part of creation. The clouds are the dust. Of his feet, and the sun, moon, and stars twinkle far below his throne, even the heavens cannot contain him. Praise God. Verses 5 and 6, we get that comparison, that contrasting statement. Verse 5 and 6 Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens? And the earth, Brothers and sisters, this is a rhetorical question for we know the answer. There is no one like our God. He is the one and only true God. There is none like him. He is the transcendent God of all power and knowledge and who exists outside of time. That he would even stoop or to look down upon rebellious men is the question that the psalmist brings to our attention. Ancient leaders and leaders of today care little and have little concern about what our daily needs are. But God, in heaven, knows even the number of hairs upon our head and knows what our daily needs are. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25 Praise God, brothers and sisters. God even cares for the birds of the air and he cares for us as well. So he does look over the... I I was going to say ramparts of heaven. That's what my notes say, but when I think about it, ramparts are defensive. God doesn't need a castle. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. No one assails the kingdom of heaven. So God just looks over. It's... Metaphor for God looking down and peering into our lives. He's concerned with us because he loves us and cares for us. What a great and awesome God we have. Spurgeon notes, quote, the challenge can never be answered. None can compare. None of the metaphors and figures by which the Lord is sent, set forth in scriptures can give us a complete idea of him. His full resemblance is borne by nothing in heaven or in earth. Only in Jesus is the Godhead seen. But he unhesitatingly declared, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Praise God. In verses 7 and 8, he raises the poor from the dusts and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people. This is most likely a reference from the song of Hannah from Samuel. First Samuel chapter two, verses seven and eight. I thought it interesting, and I went back and actually looked at that, and sure enough, verses seven and eight of First Samuel chapter two, the song, a prayer of Hannah. It reads, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princess and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Our sister Hannah from long ago proclaimed these. As an exclamation of her thanksgiving that when God blessed her with, um, if you remember, she was barren and God, um, in anguish, she sought uh, the Lord in the temple concerning her barrenness and God blessed her and she brought forth Samuel, who was a great prophet in Israel. It's interesting. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. The ash heap in ancient Israel and in ancient times was often the place outside of the city where refuse was placed and often it was uh, burned, the refuse. So um, it was a place that was uh, warmed by the day with the sun and it stayed warm at night because of the fires and often the poor of the city, those who were um, sick and diseased, the outcasts were found at the um, ash heap. And so, uh, um, it's uh, from this ash heap, people would, the, the average Jews would avoid these people. They were the outcasts. They were the sinners. But God does not, Avoid outcasts and sinners. Matter of fact, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He uh, calls the poor in spirit. In If you remember in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. Um, I thought that was a wonderful encouragement to all of us that God came to seek and to save that which was lost. and He seeks out the poor and the wretched. So uh, it is with great thanksgiving that I'm so glad he came and seek and sought me. Matthew Henry writes: "Gideon is fetched from threshing, Saul from seeking the asses, and David from keeping the sheep. The apostles from fishing are sent to be fishers of men. The treasure of the gospel is put into earthen vessels. And the weak and the foolish ones of the world pitched upon to be preachers of it, to confound the wise and the mighty, that the excellency of the power of God in all may see that promotion comes from Him. That's a quote from Matthew Henry. And in verse nine, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. God has opened the womb of women of the Bible at various times according to His purposes and for His glory in the story of the redemption of His people. The history of the Bible is complete with the wondrous providential miracles of God's mercy. God used them for His purpose and for His glory. Abraham's wife Sarah was barren until God blessed her in their old age and she was uh, uh, brought forth Isaac. He was the child of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 16. And then again, Isaac's wife Rebekah was barren until God opened her womb. She became the mother of Jacob, Jacob who fathered the 12 tribes of Israel in Genesis chapter 25. Rachel's wife or Jacob's wife Rachel, his favorite wife was barren until God opened her womb and she bore Joseph, the man who would protect Israel in the great famine in Egypt when they came. In Genesis chapter 30. And then as we saw, Hannah, the wife of Elkanah, had no children for she was barren. In her anguish, she prayed in the temple. God heard her prayer and answered her prayer. God opened her womb to bring forth Samuel, one of the greatest prophets in Israel. And then Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, the priest, was barren. As we read in Luke chapter 1, she was the cousin of Mary, and she brought forth John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. I conclude with a rather longish quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He writes, the strong desire of the Middle Easterners to have children caused the birth of offspring to be hailed as the choicest of favors, while barrenness was regarded as a curse. Hence, this verse is placed last as if to crown the whole and to serve as a climax to the story of God's mercy. The glorious Lord displays his condescending grace in regarding those who are despised on account of their barrenness, whether it be the body or of soul. Sarah, Rachel, the wife of Manoah, Hannah, Elizabeth, and others were all instances of the miraculous power of God in literally fulfilling the statement of the psalmist. The Gentile church is a spiritual example upon a large scale of the faithfulness after long years of hopeless barrenness, nor is this all. Each believer in the Lord Jesus must at times have mourned his lamentable barrenness. He has appeared to be a dry tree, yielding no fruit to the Lord. And yet, when visited by the Holy Ghost, he has found himself suddenly to be like Aaron's rod, which budded and blossomed and brought forth almonds. Like Mary, we have lifted up our magnificent. And like Hannah, we have said there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Praise ye the Lord. The music concludes upon its keynote. The psalm is a circle ending where it began. Praising the Lord from its first to its last. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters. Let us. Continue always to praise the Lord, not only in our hearts, but in the assembled congregation of God's people. It is a blessing to join with you each and every Lord's Day to lift our voices in praise and worship of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as the assembly of believers in this place to lift up your name in praise and worship. We thank you for your word and how it encourages our hearts and minds and souls to praise and worship you, the God of creation, the transcendent God who knows and cares about us, simple people. We thank you, God, that you love us enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, into the world, that he would live amongst us, that he would live without any sin, and that he would bear a a wrath-bearing death on the cross at Calvary for our behalf that we might become children of the living God and we might have an opportunity to cry out to you, Abba Father. We thank you now for this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ for it's in his name we pray, amen.